Hey there, person with a great idea. Yes, that's you. Congratulations. You should make that idea a reality with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything that you want to put into a website that shows off you. So head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for today's show comes from Fallout 76. Bethesda Game Studios, the award-winning creators of Skyrim and Fallout 4, welcome you to Fallout 76, the online prequel where every surviving human is a real person. Work together or not to survive. Fallout 76 will be available worldwide on Wednesday, November 14th. Pre-order now at participating retailers and play the beta. Games play best on Xbox One. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt. I am also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also impressed by every slasher movie. Yeah, good job, slasher movies. I mean, I'm coming down from the Halloween season, also bored now that the World Series is over. That stinks. Uh, But I find my brain being impressed with slasher movies. That's what it's moved on to. Because so often they build an entire movie around a kind of nothing villain. Right, like they're spooky and they're uh, usually invincible or something. But they're all just kind of photocopies of Michael Myers from the original Halloween with a little extra window dressing, but very little variation or interest in how they're going about the slashing. And the whole movie hangs on that, and that's all. It just treats them as pure evil the entire time, and somehow that works. And those slasher movies keep it simple, they keep it extremely villainous, and that is why they don't fit the mistake that is our topic today. That movie-making mistake, that topic, is movies that forgot to prove the villain wrong. One more time, that is movies that forgot to prove the villain wrong. We will break that down immediately in the episode, what that is. And when I say we, that uh, the subject of that is me and our guests. Two of them returning to the show is Chase Mitchell. New to the show is Ben Joseph. They are both comedians and comedy writers. Uh, between them, Ben and Chase have written things for The Tonight Show, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, The Golden Globes, The Simpsons, and more because they're, they're top-level professional writers. And you don't get to do that job without knowing something about how a piece of writing comes together. So I'm so glad we get to tackle this topic right now. Please sit back or sit at your window watching for a loose slasher that uh, still hasn't migrated south for the winter. That's what they're, they're much like birds. I don't know if people know that. That is a stone-cold fact and not a joke. Either way, enjoy this episode with the wonderful Chase Mitchell and Ben Joseph. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Especially with movies, I, I feel like maybe maybe we need to lay out a little bit at the top just exactly what, what kind of villain we're talking about, because we're talking about movies that forgot to prove the villain wrong. And specifically, that's like movies where just throughout the film, the villain is definitely the villain, right? Like, like right. maybe there's some shades of gray to them, but the movie is never like, you know, actually, some of what they say kind of has a point. Well, there's, I think in also that situation, they feel like they don't have to do the work because you're just so automatically on the side of the hero a lot of times. It's like, I think with a lot of yeah. these, they're like, yeah, yeah, you get it. Like, and it's only when you look closer on a second watch, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> that, that seems especially strong with, like, superheroes, right? Because they, they assume, oh, you're familiar with the comic where right. <laughs> Iron Man is the good guy. So we don't need to, uh, like, examine who he's against. You know, you get right. it. And you've also got the handsome, good-looking one and the ugly villains. And you're like, yeah, come on. Oh, usually <laughs> scarred in some way. Yeah. <laughs> There's like that cowboy thing of white hat, black hat. I forgot handsomeness mm. is the white hat. Yes. Like, it's, usually, <laughs> yes it's, a, it's one reason I have trouble uh, buying Michael Fassbender as Magneto. He's too handsome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. It's hard to think someone's evil. You know, they're walking around packing a big hog. <laughs> well, I was thinking of his face, but sure, that, that seems right. <laughs> but also, in every single one of those movies, I feel like he starts as the good guy. Somehow, they they, yeah, re, they reset it, every single time. Oh, I know. And then something tragic happens to him. I feel like he. This is not right, but he loses like a wife every single movie. Like, oh, every he, character he plays. No, yeah, no. Every 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 time he's Magneto, like oh, it starts okay. with him happy, and then they come and destroy the humans he loves, and then he, or someone he loves. There's a, yeah, there's yeah. always some kind of tragedy that like turns him evil again. It's like, it's like oh, you fooled us again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thought you were our buddy this time. 
Yeah, because he, uh, bringing up Magneto, like, we have a few examples of just heroes who do not fit this, uh, to make it clear. And, like, Magneto is one where the X-Men movies often give his viewpoint as a villain, like, some credibility and some credence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But that's because that's kind of the point. Like, we're right. talking about movies where the villain, it kind of has a point, and it's never acknowledged or addressed or anything. Looking at, uh, looking at villains where the movie just never quite proves that they are wrong. Right. Uh, I suppose we could start with Avengers Infinity War because it's yeah. the largest movie ever made of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one other point before we get into it that I thought was yeah. interesting that it, like with a lot of these it would be easy to. The movie's just lazy. The movie just kind of relies on the assumption that you know these are the bad guys and they don't have to do any more work. Yeah, like, it's not yeah. like the villain is right. It's like the movie just doesn't do the extra legwork of telling <clears throat> you why they're wrong. Yes, it's, it's interesting in the case of uh, Infinity War because I feel like a lot of the critical praise was lavished upon the portrayal of Thanos and, and like there was a lot of praise for how he was written. Even critics weren't acknowledging that his whole plan was so deeply flawed. Yeah, it's like the world like still hasn't processed it. Yeah. That it has issues. <laughs> I read an interview with the Russos where they said the only way they could write this movie is if they wrote it as Thanos as his hero's journey. Yeah. So I think they almost kind of don't want you to think about it too hard because they, they really are in love with the this guy being their Walter White, this ambiguity like, oh, he's the bad guy, but he has some points. And then if you think about it for a while, you're like, wait, no, he doesn't. This is, <laughs> this is all very yeah. dumb. Yeah. He even sort of has Walter White's hairstyle. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. He's got the, the Heisenberg in <laughs> a little pork pie hat. <laughs> so what's uh, what's wrong with Thanos, right? Well, as people know, he feels that the universe is getting overpopulated, and so it needs to lose half its beings. And like you said, Chase, even critics after, I think, were like, well, you know, overpopulation, that, that sort of humanizes him because right. what, a, what a cause to need to deal with. It also doesn't totally make sense. That kind of overpopulation fear, especially if you're Thanos looking at the scale of the universe, right. is it's not actually universe. a problem. <laughs> it's right. the universe. Like, <laughs> I feel like Tony Stark at some point should be like, hey, wait a second. It's the universe. Like, it's right. everything. <laughs> the Marvel movies so far haven't really borne out this idea that the whole universe is overpopulated. It's like, I don't know, I guess you can make an argument that Earth is, but, you know, in like Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that, and Thor, we've seen other worlds that like seem fine. You know, Asgard, like, before it got destroyed, was, like, pretty idyllic. It seemed happy. It didn't seem, hey, they could fit all the people in Asgard on that one ship. So, like, they're definitely, <laughs> Asgard was not overpopulated. He thinks because he came from Titan, and Titan was so crushingly overpopulated, he just kind of assumes the rest of the universe is like that. Well, and we're even kind of taking his word for it with Titan, aren't we? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know yeah. that it was overpopulated. <laughs> it's I'm like not a, on top of it. It's like if you're from Alabama and you're like, wow, the world loves country music. Like, they just can't get enough of it. You're just, like, you're just projecting your hometown onto the rest of you know, everybody else. I think also for our generation, overpopulation is just a shorthand. Like, we were all told growing up so many times that was a problem. The movie kind of leans on that to, like, but now I think I've even seen things where it's like, no, no, overpopulation's not the problem. It's the fact that it's resource distribution. It's the fact that, like, a tiny percentage of the population is using all the resources. So right, I'm saying right. what Thanos really needs is socialism. He's <laughs> 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 like on Chapo Trap House. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and also, like, even if you're listening at home and you're like, socialism could never solve that, something could solve it, and he has a magic glove that can do anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he just needs to do that thing, whatever it is. Okay, so the other th his plan doesn't even work within his own plan because he <laughs> wants to get the gloves so he can kill off half the universe, but he's already spent, it's been his life's work to go planet to planet killing half of people already. So those planets that he's already been to where he's killed half the people, when he snaps his finger at the end, he just killed <laughs> half of a half. Like, what the fuck, man? What a dick. I need to see his detailed spreadsheet yeah, for right. keeping track of when he needs to come back to which right. place. That's also such a silly scene because the implication is before he has the glove, he's doing this manually. He's going around and killing, you know, half the population of right. planets. Like a big and, war. Or yeah, and I, I assumed like, oh, this planet has 8 billion people. I'll just stop when 4 billion of them are dead. No, he literally takes them and divides them in <laughs> half and then kills all of them on one side. <laughs> That's so unnecessary yeah. to like, split them into two groups. Right, because what you're describing, there's a whole scene that's kind of a flashback where he's on a different planet and we see him just organizing everybody into a left and right and then yeah. one of them goes, you know? Yeah. And the movie presents that and nobody chimes in or disputes it. The heroes are basically like, his basic philosophy makes sense and we just need to stop him because it's mean. Or right. Something. right, right. Which is crazy because he's just wrong. It doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> 
like you said, Ben, uh, there have been overpopulation fears on Earth. And sure, the Earth is just one planet with a finite amount of room, et cetera. We'll footnote a podcast uh, that we did in the past with uh, the author Charles C. Mann, because he did a book recently where, among other things, it talks about how one of the real problems is not overpopulation, but fears of it, because then people do like wars and crazy things to try to <laughs> get the resources first. But also, it just doesn't make sense. Like, for example, the Earth had in uh, the year 1400, it had about 400 million people. Today, it has about 7.6 billion. And that's a huge jump in population. We're also, there's still room, there's still food, you know, for a lot of people, not everybody. As the population grows, you also get more farmers, get more food scientists. Like right. There are a lot of ways where the population can grow and it works okay. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this is also fairly well known, but in the comics, his motivation was not noble. It was that he wanted to oh, fuck death. Yeah, he's, and tr- <laughs> he's trying to get some ass. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. Oh, you didn't yeah. know this? Oh, he, he's in love with the personification of death who is... A skeleton, but apparently to a titan, that's the sexiest thing you can be. <laughs> and he, he thinks the only way to woo this lady is to kill half the universe. Like, that'll get her attention. I guess my question is, do you think that's better or worse than what they went with? <laughs> so he, like, he, he observed the, the manifestation of death, and he was like, death's hobby seems to be death. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to do that hobby a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then she'll like me. It's like seeing someone's really into like cycling and buying yeah, yeah. like 15 bikes. <laughs> 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 wow, I didn't even know that about the origins of it. That's that's crazy. So yeah. then they in the movie yeah. probably tried to graft on some kind of more resonant substantially yeah. substantially less horny Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> and there's even there's this really labored line in the tagged the first Avengers movie where they introduce him. Yeah. Like whoever Thanos is like Toadie is is saying like, oh, to fight the Avengers would be to court death. And if you're like a nerd, you're like, oh, that's you know, that's a hint at his motivation. Like oh. he gives like a little smirky smile. And also the the other thing I've read is they they weren't even there was no master plan to make him the villain. Joss Whedon just kind of threw that on at the end of the Avengers and they just like went with it. Like the entire ten year Marvel universe has just been kind of like a long improv scene. Which I think actually what makes it work is they they commit to big decisions like that. It's like a TV show. They didn't try to like really lock it in and structure it. They just kind of like whatever seemed to be working, they they went with that and dug into it. I both understand more how they wrote a villain that doesn't make sense because, like you say, they were sort of just loosely figuring out where where this Mm -hmm. unprecedented film universe would all lead to, you know? And also it's just so amazing that Infinity War is basically like the culminating movie of all movies of the last 10 years – and it had a villain that doesn't make sense, and nobody yeah. noticed. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I also want to point out that I did fucking love the movie. Like, even though we're kind of shitting I, on the villain's motivation, I, like, I enjoyed it. I saw it, yeah. it like four times in theaters. <laughs> I was the one who brought down Movie Pass. Actually, that was just <laughs> <laughs> sorry, everybody. As long as Chase only sees <laughs> Avengers three times, <laughs> our business model works. <laughs> you Thanos Movie Pass. <laughs> That's neat. It's still an impactful movie. And maybe that almost helps sneak the just basic logic issue with the villain's plan it's almost through. Like, I mean, everything else about the movie is so impressive. Just the fact that it yeah. exists and the fact that they were able to pull all that together and that the, the story is really fun to watch and everything like that. Like, I don't want to say it makes up for it, but it did make me not think about it in the theater. I didn't, you know, think about it until later. That, yeah, exactly. That his yeah. plan didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and if you're out there, overpopulation could be a thing, but... Especially on a universe scale, don't worry about it. Yeah, and his thing of like it being random, the fact that it's random means that it's killing farmers and people who are producing these things. So it's like right. it's not going to help. Yeah, it's not it's not like judicious or solving anything. There's some just mm-hmm. just better logistics. It should have system. been targeted killings <laughs> at specific <laughs> populations. <laughs> Look, this podcast was always going to end with endorsing genocide. It's just a question of how long (laughs) it took us to get there. Let's go a little bit into the past to the classic Home Alone 2. Ah, Home Alone Uh, 2, what a movie. Also, we should say that Thanos' example comes from uh, five recent blockbusters that forgot to prove the villain wrong by Mark Hill. And then this one comes from five movie villains who were completely right the whole time by Nathan Wadowski. No, the bandits were not right in Home Alone 2. But uh, if for people who don't remember it, Kevin McAllister is lost in New York. That's the subtitle. And he's at the Plaza Hotel where the concierge is Tim Curry and is always bothering him. And we really don't like him for it. Yeah. 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 Do you guys remember? I remember seeing the movie and being like, I'm so That kind of requires you to be a kid, I think. I mean, you're just implicitly on Kevin McAllister's side because – that guy's an adult over there, and he's being a jerk, and he's British, so you know he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I like that. I like that. Handsome is the white hat, and then British is the black hat. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a whole genre of movie adult because I think that also exists in a Dunstan checks in. Where oh Jason, yeah. Jason Alexander is just very mad. There's a monkey loose in his hotel, which is very understandable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen that movie, but I know of it. There yeah. is a uh, whole history of villainous uh, hotel concierges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nobody cool runs hotels in movies. <laughs> What is Kevin McAllister doing wrong in that movie? I'm trying to remember, like, because he he's, he has a credit he's, card, right? It's he's fraud. He stole his father's credit card. Everyone right. is uh, morally worse in Home Alone too. I'm just now realizing, like, uh, like you were just saying, uh, Harry and Marv, they're you know definitely not on the right side in this movie because they're out of jail, and right. in this movie they're motivated by a desire to murder. Like, (laughs) that wasn't their motive in the first movie. They just wanted to rob some houses. And the kid got in their way. And in the second movie, they're motivated entirely by murder. They're they're (laughs) substantially worse people. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, Kevin uh, becomes a thief, steals his father's credit card in this movie. um, Because they had to explain how he could, you know, survive in New York. Right, Uh, right. But, yeah, it's it's an official crime. Yeah, Yeah. he uses the talk boy (laughs) to pose as his father on the phone. Kevin was racking up. Huge hotel fees on his father's dime. His hardworking father, Peter McAllister. Uh, <laughs> well, and because he tries to use the card, too. And Tim Curry, whose his name is Mr. Hector in the movie, is, like, really grilling him. And they make a whole thing out of what a jerk he is for grilling him. Yeah. To it's, detect the crime that is happening. <laughs> right. It's amazing. That was where the talk boy was a toy sold on that it would let you commit fraud as a child. I remember even the commercials were oh, yeah. like imitating your, mm-hmm. your a, a parent's voice or like <laughs> the way they make Tim Curry seem worse is because he's not concerned that this kid is by himself. He more just wants to catch him. You know what right. I mean? He wants to get right. him, and that's why it's easier to like oh, paint him yeah. as a villain. You're right. They like imply that he just wants to like win this cat mm-hmm. and mouse game. Even though winning it would mean then getting a child back to their family, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> there's also there's a part in the movie that other than the to- the famous talkboy move that he does to confuse people, he also has that like black and white gangster movie that he yeah, always likes to watch yeah. when he eats big meals. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Kevin McAllister uses the movie Angel with Dirty Faces in his hotel room to like confuse the hotel staff into thinking that there's not a child in there. There's a bunch of adults. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but also there are movies. And, and, but in this case, he's convincing a hotel staff that there are adults firing guns in the yeah. hotel. <laughs> and you're, uh, la- you're laughing at them for being afraid of a possible shooting spree. This yeah. movie is not aged well. No. <laughs> I like that in the Home Alone extended universe that all adults just are fooled by loud audio. Like, yeah. if anyone just hears something, they're like, oh, those are people in that room. It's, it's like they're all dogs or something. It's like they think that any, any sound is, comes from a real person and not potentially a TV screen. They, yeah. they also redo the bit where in the first one they see Michael Jordan's cut out in a window and they assume there's adults home party oh, yeah, like yeah. walking back a, and forth a, in front of a mirror. This one's <laughs> a, a an inflatable yeah. clown in a shower. Which looks nothing <laughs> looks like a human being. No. <laughs> I'd be very concerned about that person if that's what their silhouette looks like. <laughs> yeah, well, and also, speaking of the movie not aging well, like in hindsight it's a movie where we dislike Tim Curry's character more than we dislike Donald Trump, which is pretty yeah, weird. Right. Like Donald Trump is a, a hilarious goof in the movie, uh-huh. even though he had already done that Central Park Five stuff. And then Tim <laughs> Curry is like a bad guy. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy that what that, that movie is most famous for now is just a, a cameo featuring our current president. <laughs> Let's look at another kids' movie, maybe. We've got The Little Mermaid. Ah, that Disney classic, right? What a good time. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, one of the first movies that I remember seeing in theaters, actually. Probably because they had some kind of crazy sexual awakening to Ariel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just a, felt comfortable. Uh, I just felt comfortable with you guys. No, no, same. Right there with oh, you, villain. But uh, obviously Ursula is the villain in the movie. And why? I don't know. At best, she's like a loan shark. She's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she's yeah. like taking souls as collateral. But no, I think you're, what you're talking about is sort of the, there is an implied relationship between Ursula and Triton. And we don't know why Ursula has been exiled to this shitty cave while Triton gets to live in yeah. the Golden Palace that looks like penises when you watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was, I think that was like the first Easter egg I ever learned about on the internet was the, the Little Mermaid has like penises in the structures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Purposely man. or otherwise, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all of the like hidden sex stuff in Disney movies is like, oh, yeah. these animators are all fucking perverts. <laughs> <laughs> no just, wonder Ariel's so fucking hot. Just reminded that cartoons <laughs> of that era were made by men in their 40s. <laughs> <laughs> just, it does feel like the movie begs for some kind of flashback or something, and I don't know if they ever did it in any of the like straight-to-video sequels or anything. Yeah, I usually hate stuff like Maleficent, the stuff that sort of fills in the unnecessary backstory, but I would totally watch a Triton <laughs> Ursula prequel and see what their beef was. Yeah, because when we pick it up, Triton is a king and Ursula is like, like basically like a gorilla witch outside of it who's, right. who's giving favors to people when they come to her. If I remember right, Ariel seeks her out. She doesn't like go and find her. Right. You know, I don't know. It seems like she's just a pretty aggressive business person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she signed the contract. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and also, as we talked about, that really leans on the coding of buff man is good and fat drag queen is bad. Yeah. <laughs> this old man with his nipples blazing. <laughs> Clearly the hero. In Lindy West's book, it's called Trill, it's very funny, but she calls King Triton a P90X Sea King, which is... <laughs> Yeah, exactly she's, right. uh, she's very good at those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, she's landed the best joke on this podcast. <laughs> she's not even here. What have I done? Sorry. <laughs> I feel like it's especially easy with kids' movies or movies where it's set in some kind of mythological, fantastical context mm-hmm. to just drop us into the world and then we're supposed to take for granted who has been running things positively and who has not. You right. know? Yeah. Like, there's no political context to any of this. Scar feels like he kind of just is a plagiarized version of Ursula. I mean, exiled person yeah. with, like... Possibly sexually deviant. Yeah. yeah. Less handsome. <laughs> Less handsome. Yeah. <laughs> because we can all judge lie on handsomeness, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with their little, like, lackeys at their feet or whatever. It's pretty much the same same villain again. I think even as a kid, the Lion King, that bugged me a little bit just because it seemed like there was no particular reason the hyenas were not allowed to have a place to live and, and things to eat, you know? They especially call attention to that because the first, Mufasa gives this big monologue about how everything lives in harmony, things die for a reason, the the gazelle become the earth, and we, you know, it's all great. And Simpson was like, but what about the hyenas? And he's like, oh, they suck. Never talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie opens with a big... Basically a huge celebration where everyone in the every being on the savanna is out there. Yeah, it's very except explicit. for the hyenas. Yeah. <laughs> Not on the invite list. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he really beat by beat is like even grass is part of my kingdom. <laughs> grass is important. Yeah. I mean I don't know enough yeah. about hyenas. Do they suck? Like do they suck <laughs> in real life? Maybe they do. I feel like I don't know about you guys, but Hyenas are, I believe, a scavenging kind of animal. Yeah. Right? Like something else will die, and then they will eat it after it was first eaten by something else. And I feel like scavenging animals are always villains just because. Mm-hmm. Even right. though even though scavenging is is very much a part of just, just the ecosystem. That's how it works. Right. Like it's very important kind of. Except yes, for the Jungle Book where those vultures are the beetles. I don't know if you remember that scene. <laughs> I forgot about that. It is weird that scavenging is portrayed that way because it's kind of more ethical like to eat something that's already dead is you're not causing that thing any pain like yeah yeah it is kind of more ethical than being a lion yeah, yeah. and that's it was another example of like they just draw the hyenas ugly so it's like oh we don't like them because they're ugly right and, they, and they're scavenging yeah yeah I feel like in cartoons, any asymmetrical eye situation oh, is immediate. Yep. Or Ed. Either, oh, either uh, craziness or, or evil. Also in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like, yeah, the, the just in generally I feel like people consider symmetrical faces more attractive. And I gestured to my oh, own sure. face when sure. I did that, which is not <laughs> symmetrical at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They are. They're playing on our psychology right, and our basic yeah, thing. Yeah. It's so amazing that they cannot fill in like story logic too. Right. And it just mm. works. <laughs> well, I think, you know, we're also looking at it through 20 years in a way that, like, at the time, it was considered nuanced that, like, Mufasa had this monologue about how there was a circle of life, that it wasn't just bad and good. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you know, that's right. <laughs> and now 20 years <laughs> on, that looks, you know, it's like you, the holes in that are also obvious to us. I never <laughs> thought of The Lion King as, like, a uh, like a product of the Clinton era or something. <laughs> or, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what the political stage was, but, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of around that time, Good old Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. What a good time. You know, Aurora, Illinois, finest moment. Uh, Mm. I shout out Illinois whenever I can. Were you guys like SNL fans when that was getting going? I feel like I caught up with it a little bit after. I think I, I feel like I saw Wayne's World first and then did SNL later. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Which is also how I consumed Spaceballs and then Star Wars. I just do do everything backwards. 
That's I worked How? with I worked with a writer who had also had that same situation, and uh. he, he was so not interested in Star Wars. He was like, "Why did they make it? Why would they make Spaceballs? Well, not funny. Why would, they, <laughs> why would they take the good part out of Spaceballs and make a worse movie?" <laughs> hey, the guy's got a point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely was aware of Wayne's World just because it was so in culture. But I don't know. I don't know if I ever saw a full sketch before I saw the movie. I think yeah. I probably saw the movie first. That's a case where they're going from a sketch where you don't really need a villain mm-hmm. at all. Like, it can just be them doing the bits in the fake living room. Right. Uh, but then they were like, we're expanding this to an entire movie. And so they picked the villain in the first Wayne's World movie of Rob Lowe. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, pl- who's playing a character. And he, in hindsight, it's like he's definitely trying to steal Wayne's girlfriend. Right. That's definitely a thing he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, and by steal, I mean he wants to compete for her affections because right. she has agency. Um, <laughs> and then beyond that, like he he's a professional. I don't know. Yeah, seems okay. Seems okay. Yeah, I mean, it almost <laughs> seems like maybe it's a reaction to like. I mean, he wears a suit and he has like you know he combs his hair and stuff like that. So he's very much the antithesis of like Wayne and Garth, who are kind of like you know we're kind of in the grunge era then. So they're like are you know the Gen X like ideal was like a dude in a flannel shirt uh, with long hair. That's true. Who was, yeah. like hangs out in his basement. Yeah, and. Was his name Benjamin? Uh, uh, Benjamin. Yeah, I think you're uh, right. Yeah. Rob Lowe's. Yeah. And he's like kind of this like 80s leftover, this like yuppie who's in this suit. And so you just are kind of coded to think like, oh, yeah, this guy's a villain. Oh. Whereas like if it came yeah. out in the 80s, you probably would have been rooting for Benjamin. Yeah. I also never realized but Wayne's World is like cartoon reality bites. It's like it's literally the Ethan Hawke and Ben Stiller oh, roles. Wow. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the '80s and the '90s really didn't like each other. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> At the time, now they're both classic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Wayne's also does that has that '90s comedy sin of just casting two very funny people, then just an extremely attractive woman. And that is her value in the movie. Like that's yeah. that's why Wayne's world is a, that's why Wayne is attracted to Cassandra just because he gets a audible boner to her that <laughs> makes him go swing. That's true. <laughs> he does tell us he's having a, a boner. <laughs> <laughs> and and as an audience, we're not like that's weird. We're like the joke I've been waiting for <laughs> the entire film. But yeah, I, th- I think my, my point is that like his argument of why she should be with him is no more valid than Roblo's argument. They just both they just both think she's yeah. very attractive. Yeah, and that's. <laughs> Well, yeah, right. They both think she's very attractive. And then Rob Lowe butts into the movie because he wants to basically professionalize the Wayne's World TV show. Right. Mm. And then he, in the process, wants to boost uh, Cassandra's career. And that is probably good. I don't know. That, that <laughs> probably, well, it's like we're fine. supposed to not like that they're shooting it in a studio now instead of his basement. It's like, that's good production values. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, once you like know anything about how TV works, it's like, oh, that actually makes a lot more sense. I guess it's supposed <laughs> to be like they're selling out or whatever, but it's, you know, I don't know. They do yeah. something. Is it that they have to advertise a video game? Yes. What? Yeah, that's what it uh, is. That's, yeah. one of the, that's one of the funny <laughs> scenes. Uh, Noah, Noah's Arcade. Noah's, Noah's Arcade, yeah. Because yeah. well, I think the owner of the arcade comes on and they have to interview him and uh-huh. talk to him about his arcade. And that's a, that's a, a pretty ordinary advertisement. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah, it's not that bad. And the arcade's probably really fun. And and Wayne goes and like you know writes a bunch yeah. of mean things on the backs of all the cards. This is so clearly a conversation between people in their thirties. <laughs> <laughs> I've completely flipped. I've turned on. Like right. if, if I was twenty, if I was still twenty three, I might mildly side more with Wayne. But now I'm just old and tired and like paying my rent. <laughs> I think right, even I, when I was a kid, I do think I felt bad for Noah in that scene because uh, yeah, he's like a nice guy. He's yeah, in, it's uh, Brian Doyle Murray I think plays him, and it's like they don't say that, like, he's done nothing wrong except own a business. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Wayne, Wayne yeah. I guess, doesn't like him because he's successful. And it's like, you know, I don't think, I don't recall him doing anything that made him be, like, a dick or anything before Wayne did that. This product is arcade games. Yeah. Right. That rules. <laughs> it should have been, it's really it rad. Should, they should have made it something else. It should have been something less likable. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, like some tax preparer. Yeah. In, yeah. In the moment down. that turns Cassandra on Rob Lowe is when she can't tell his hand from a snake. Is that like, <laughs> which is supposed to be like this great oh. metaphorical moment, but just like it's just such a weird life. I did not even get that. Until yeah, now. I did not even get that it was because it he was he's like a snake. Yeah, right. even, man, oh, you, you she, read deeper levels. Oh man, <laughs> does she have like it's like a prop live snake? And yeah, they're like in a music video. video, and Rob Lowe's like, "Don't worry, you'll be better here." And she's like, "Wait, your hand feels like a snake. I got to get out of here." That's <laughs> oh, that's weird. her big moment. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, it, it seems like. 
I, I think she made a mistake. I mean, obviously they throw it all away in the end by having sort of a meta deconstructive ending where nothing matters. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah she, in I the long term, that. she probably would have been better off with the nice, hot, rich man who cared about her career <laughs> more, than, <laughs> more, more than Wayne. When, like, if nothing else, the movie could be like, she did the right thing choosing Wayne because he is a nicer guy. Also, this other guy's like fine. It's not like like every, yeah. everything he did makes sense. I don't know. It's not like a huge problem. <laughs> the ending, ending, like the last one where everything like goes perfect. Doesn't right. he like have it? He like it turns out he wears a toupee or something like that. Right. He, gets his, <laughs> he gets his hair ripped off. Or oh something like yeah, that. yeah. And and how dare someone be bald? <laughs> <laughs> right. He had he had both the evil hairs, bald and slicked all the way yeah. back. <laughs> right. Are right. both unacceptable. <laughs> right. We would like to thank Squarespace for knowing something, because they know that listeners to the Cracked Podcast are very, very, very interesting people. And by interesting, I mean great. I hope you read that connotation in what I said, because you're awesome. You're curious about the world. You want to know what's going on in it, and you want to be a participant in it. Well, a lot of the world's online. Why not get a website that lets you do that? And when you get one, how about one with a beautiful template created by a world-class designer that you can customize with just a few clicks and make yours? Also, let's talk about domains. They build websites at Squarespace. They also do domains. And hey, here's a fun thing you can do. Once you get a website, people will be like, do you have a website? And you'll be like, yes, my website is yada da 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 But you won't say yada da 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 because that's a very bad domain name. Maybe I'm dumb and it's great, but I don't think it's great. You should get one specific to you that you really like, and Squarespace makes it easy to find and buy that domain name for yourself. Having the right one is a lot like a calling card for you and all of the rest of the information and pictures and writing and things you're selling. I don't know what you're doing, but you'll put it on that website and get people there easily with that domain name. Because Squarespace empowers millions of people to turn great ideas into something real. Become one of them. Head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com cracked. Offer code cracked. Support for today's show comes from Fallout 76. And maybe you've played Fallout 4. Maybe you've played Fallout New Vegas. Maybe you've played Fallout 3. You probably know the progression of the rest of the things I'd say, because that is a huge franchise, and it is very, very fun. My Twitter avatar is me in a New California Republic t-shirt. The New California Republic is a fictional place that's part of that game where the the bear on the flag has two heads. Uh, Isn't that fun? Radiation, mutation, it's crazy. And Bethesda Game Studios is going to welcome you to Fallout 76, which is an online prequel where every surviving human is a real person. You're working with actual people on the internet or not working with them to survive the wasteland. It is the largest and most dynamic world ever created in that Fallout universe. It is Reclamation Day 2102, and it's 25 years after the bombs fall. You and your fellow vault dwellers emerge into post-nuclear America. You can play solo or join together as you explore, quest, build, and triumph against the Wasteland's greatest threats. Fallout 76 will be available worldwide on Wednesday, November 14th. Pre-order it now at participating retailers and play the beta, Games Play Best, on Xbox One. What if we talk about the Incredibles films? Oh, yeah. Syndrome, oh, man, is so complicated because Pixar movies are classic for being so thematically tight. Yeah. Like, and, you know, there's usually one line in them that you can pull out that sort of is your key to the film. And the Incredibles seems to think that it's if everybody's super, nobody's super. And I, I sort of understand where Bradbury's coming from, but like it does—it doesn't sound that bad. It's kind of a Randian uh, idea. It's like this kind of objectivist take on on things. And yeah, if you watch that movie back uh, now, like the first one especially, like Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible would have been a Trump supporter, like 100%. Like, he is, he, ta- he talks about, like, all oh, these participation medals. Like, oh, he gets so close to saying snowflakes. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> And, yeah, and, and, and the, what Syndrome does bad, he, he like, the, what, what the movie says he does bad is he wants to give his technology to other people so they can also be super, and it's not clear why that's bad. Yeah. Is that what we're right. saying? Yeah. This, I think, is one of the clearest examples of this because that, yeah, that movie never, other than the fact that Syndrome is, like, a ginger... Uh, nothing, no reason is ever given for, and I guess he's like kind of a jerk to his girlfriend. How many hairs are positive for heroes? Which ones? We can't do bald. We can't do slick back. We can't do ginger. Yes. Yeah. So his technology is, is, would be a good thing. And the moment when you like turn on him as an audience is when he 
creates a situation that he has to then fly in and solve because that is, you know, he's he's lying. He's well, being also, dishonest and he's, yeah. there's a sort of cowardice to it almost because he's controlling the, the thing That's that he's true. fighting. I mean, he lures people to his island and then murders them. But. Oh, right. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, he's killed, like, ten superheroes. But but he, before that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, right, because we never – that's bad, and then we never question what drove him to it. Right. Because yeah. I think there's right. an earlier part in the movie where he's a kid who's an inventor, and Mr. Incredible tells him to cut it out, and right. that's stupid and bad. Right. Yeah. And so that, like, breaks his heart and sets him on a path to villainy. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, the murder definitely makes him a bad guy, and I think that's what you're saying, but his motivation is, like – yeah. Um, yeah. Also, now that I'm thinking about it, Mr. Incredible never – there's never a moment of him – does he ever come to grips with the fact that he kind of created Syndrome? I don't recall him – I know he's mostly, like, concerned for his family and stuff like that, but there's never a moment where he, like, apologizes to him Yeah, I don't think for, so. For, like, what he did. You know what I mean? Like – Ben, when you brought up that speech he does where he, he – the famous line is, like, when everyone is super, no one will be – uh, because his goal is to like just provide people with technology that improves their lives. Uh, yeah, like yeah. Right. All just, of our favorite companies. That line—it's <laughs> all in his delivery that makes it sound evil. But really, right. when you think about it, you're like, "Oh, that sounds great." Yeah, yeah. Right. Let's all be super. <laughs> like when everyone has health care, <laughs> everyone will get health care. Like, yeah, probably. That sounds good. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting to look at it in the context of, of Brad Bird, who was a guy who was like an animation prodigy, but for the first like ten years of his career was frustrated by people not letting him do what he wanted to do like his dream was always to work for Disney but when he got to Disney it was in the worst phase of the company they were doing like Fox and the Hound mm. and recycling animation not spending money on it oh wow and he's like okay. why are we being held to this level of mediocrity why won't you just let me make a great movie so in terms of his personal narrative sure I get it but also the message that huh. like also the idea that if you just let talented people do things it will turn out okay I don't completely buy like, right, like right. the idea that, some, yeah. that just, if you just let people with natural abilities do great things, everything will be fine, I think is not – which I think is probably kind of Randian yeah, is what yeah. you're saying. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at him and see where that came from in his personal life. Was this like his first movie that he directed? No, he did Iron Giant. Oh, Iron Giant, of course. Yeah, which yeah. also was a thing where he kind of, through the benefit of a company not paying attention, he got to make an amazing movie that just right. did not do well. Yeah, and very uh, very heartfelt. Uh, and, yeah, and, yeah. And this movie, uh, Secretly Darker. That's yeah. yeah. Well, and then he made Ratatouille, which I believe has kind of similar themes of like the villain in that movie or wants to make cooking easier so that everyone can do it or something <laughs> <Right>. like that. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. The, the chef is like doing a line of here's how you can cook at home and anyone can cook. I think how that one, that one's a little more nuanced because I think the way that it ends is like, I think it may even be a line that the food critic says. Yeah, they, I think he they, they do like, get on board with everyone. It's not, can cook. it's not okay if it's not that everyone should be able to cook. It's that a good cook can come from anywhere. And yeah, so, yeah, right. So it works out. It probably works out positively. Yeah, but right. Then, that's, yeah, right. That's a nice refinement of the Incredibles message. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I also, I also have just kind of. It gives me a gross feeling whenever a movie just sort of like shits on a critic, like wins over. You know, whenever. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever a movie's about like making a critic look like, I mean, that critic he comes around in a in a smart, intelligent way, but just like proving, reducing a critic to tears and proving them wrong is the point of the movie. Always makes me mm. like, um, this is like a weird power fantasy. And then uh, with the Incredibles two, there's a new villain uh, whose name is Evelyn Dever, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, but I feel like her main point in the movie is that we should not be reliant on superheroes to solve all our problems. And she goes about it in kind of a dark way, but also also we shouldn't. That, that sounds good. Sounds great. Yeah, I mean, she is right. Like, you know, her father dies because he was basically a superhero fanboy, and he was <laughs> waiting to be rescued when he has a perfectly good panic room. Uh, <laughs> like, why build the thing if you're not going to use it? How many times do you get to use a panic room in your life? Hopefully just once. <laughs> I actually I have I have not seen Incredibles two, but I'm enjoying this description. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's it's interesting that they they repeat the same kind of themes from the first one. That someone who wants to get rid of supers. That's the yeah. Like uh, she and her uh, brother, I think it is. They appear to be doing a PR campaign to make superheroes start to look good again, so then they yeah. can be heroes in society. But she's secretly trying to undermine them even more and remove them. Yeah. Because she's it's, trying to undermine them even more than the underminer. <laughs> oh my god, and that's his whole thing. <laughs> he was the <laughs> he is he is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> yeah. and he, you barely see him. It's great. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, like, he's like the he's you a, know like as a 
Spider-Man has like Rhino or Shockers, like someone who's like just someone who he can knock off uh, in like the you know in the cold open or whatever. The <laughs> Underminer is that for the Incredibles. Oh, I, I love the incidental villain takedown in any superhero movie. That's like yeah. my favorite part. Just like yeah. the, the hint of another adventure. You don't get to yeah. see. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, because if people don't remember, the Underminer is just a mole themed uh, right. villain. He just digs under stuff uh, with like a mining helmet and everything. Yeah, he's in like the last three minutes of the first movie and like the first three minutes of the second. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> And also just like I feel I love any sort of the the 60s Batman thing of just like all their dialogue is themed like like just like a <laughs> oh <laughs> like I was below you but now I'll be above you know, I think like yeah, oh yeah, it's, yeah. it's written very well in that regard too like how like how Schwarzenegger Mr. Freeze talks yeah oh where yeah it's yeah. all ice stuff yes yeah I love it. <laughs> and that's why that's the only part of that movie that's aged well <laughs> And Incredibles too, like that perspective of uh, we can't count on superheroes to handle things for us, partly because they're fallible and they make mistakes. Yeah, it's basically the premise of something like uh, like Watchmen or something. Right. Like, yeah. Great art where we're like, this is an amazing realization right here. And then right. they just make it the bad guy. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, let's also look at while we're on like huge franchises of this year, uh, Mission Impossible. Right. What oh, a good yeah. time. How Those just keep getting better. They really do. And yeah, that's a weird, I feel like that's an underexplored phenomenon of right now where franchises like that and Fast and the Furious somehow peak in like movie five, you know, right, I don't yeah. know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's crazy. This one, I, this is another one that I saw like, thanks movie pass. Uh, I saw it two or three times. Um, but yeah, just to make sure, because I was like, I think that was the best one out of all of them. And then I saw it again. I was like, yeah, it was. It was the best one of all. Like Fallout this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I had had a lot of affection for Ghost Protocol, love the Brad Bird one. Me too. Uh, I yeah. thought that was the best one. I looked back. It's, wow. it's, it's real so good. I was really hoping Brad Bird is listening to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Brad. <laughs> uh, but it, it, if you go back, Brad Bird should turn off the podcast now. It's, uh, it's, very, it's, very go- it's very goofy. It's very silly. I, so I rewatched all of them in the lead up to Fallout coming out. And there is some goofiness in four, but I really like that it's one of the only ones with like a real sense of humor. There's, yeah. there's more jokes in that one than there are in probably the whole rest of them combined. That's why actually I didn't like Rogue Nation at first because it wasn't funny at all. It mm. kind of was very dour. But I feel like uh, Fallout kind of strikes the balance really well between yeah, like, being yeah, a yeah. little funny but also. And then even it has one of, I think, my favorite accidental joke in those movies, which is in the trailer they show the bit where uh, it's from the big fight in a bathroom at that mm. like stock European party. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but they, uh, as the fight's going, they highlighted in the trailer where Henry Cavill like throws one arm out and then throws the other <laughs> yeah, arm out. He cocks right. his arms. Yeah, and in the trailer, there's sort of a gun cocking sound on <laughs> right. each one. And it's the best thing. That bathroom fight. And also just, it, it, it seems very natural. It's like, yeah, that's how Henry Cavill's arms work. He's, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> he's a very large man. <laughs> Someone even pointed out that like it looks like his beard grows more, or uh, sorry, his mustache grows more. When he... <laughs> and yeah, and beyond that, villains in Mission Impossible Fallout, they're a very scary group called the Apostles. Yeah. And their goal is terrorism, which is bad. But the reasons for it are they feel... <laughs> I'm waiting for you to come down on the side of the, of the terrace. <laughs> which is... <laughs> this is what oh, this has all been leading up to. And th- this one is also from Mark Hill's article, which, which we'll link. It's great. But they feel that the way the world functions is fundamentally broken because there's constantly more violence and destruction all the time. And... They are correct because they live in a Mission Impossible world <laughs> where there are, are crises also, all of the time. But they've also been the cause of that violence and destruction for the past two movies. I think so. Well, because the that, apostles came was, from the group in the previous movie. That's the thing. Each one of them, I feel like they have a group with a real yeah. confusing name, and yeah. then somehow right. it splinters into the next name. Like there was something called the Syndicate, I think. Yeah, and I right. don't, I don't care. Syndicate for it. became the Apostles. Yeah, right. I want that Bond thing where it's just Spectre all the time. Right. <laughs> right. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> what is what, I'm trying, the bad guy? Has a like Solomon Kane, Solomon Lane, That's Solomon what it, Lane. Solomon, yeah. yeah. So this, yeah, yeah, Solomon Lane was the Syndicate. Then he got arrested, and the apostles of the people following his legacy. Alex, I hope that clears it up for you. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> uh, so they they are bad people, and we should not give uh, their viewpoint any credence. But it is that spy thing of like, it's the same with James Bond's world, where there are right. just constant horrible crises, where there's an extreme near miss, where just one guy saves the day. Right. Yeah, yeah. And a world like that does need some reforming of some kind. Totally. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're good. they're. <laughs> 
they're correct, but they're also partly the cause, so it's hard to take the message from them. Yeah. But yeah, the, like the whole fact that every couple of years, a uh, five foot four, uh, 50 year old <laughs> has to save the entire world is insane. And, and it always comes down to him hanging by his fingertips or cutting a wire at the last moment. Like maybe yeah. we want some more of a cushion than that. Maybe yeah. the, world, the end of the world should be a little farther away. Yeah. <laughs> and this one kind of ends with his wife, Michelle Monaghan, returns in this one uh, from part three. They're estranged basically because he's protecting her by not being with her. But, yeah, it kind of ends with her being like, yeah, he'll always be there. And it's like <laughs> that's the message of the movie is that Ethan Hunt will always be there. I mean, right. That's one mortal man will always. <laughs> Sorry. And I kind of believe it because <laughs> – you know, he, Scientology is giving him superpowers. I didn't used to think so, but I'm starting to think so. <laughs> like the original Mission Impossible, the TV series was an ensemble. It was a team. They all had roles. And in the oh, first one, they, I actually, I've never seen that show actually. Oh, well, yeah. it's, it's one of the great action series. And everybody, and there's cool. it, 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 everybody like there's the person who makes the masks. There's the person. There's the person who's the. But it's fun because they're a team. And while there's a nod to that in the first one, they qu- it quickly becomes the Ethan Hunt show. <laughs> the, the first scene <laughs> of the first movie is the team die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they really. <laughs> they blow up the format of the show immediately, yeah. literally. Also, more spoilers for a 30-year-old movie. They make the hero of the show the villain. Yes. Like, Jim Phelps is like, I hated that I had to go on so many missions, <laughs> so many impossible oh. missions, which it's, is why I became bad. Jim Phelps is John Voight. In yeah. The first yes. And they, they wanted the original actor wow. to come back to play him, and when he read the script, he wouldn't do it because <laughs> Peter Graves, uh, he wouldn't do it because of what they do to that character. Um, oh, that's too bad. That would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. Yeah. But but my point with the series has become just Ethan Hunt and his fan club, even though he like assume even though he presumably has this team, they mostly just stand around and talk about how great Ethan Hunt is. Yeah. <laughs> like they I guess like they, they kind of have a fight scene in the climax. Benji kind of gets a fight scene in the climax of this one. Benji uh I mean I love Simon Pegg and I love his performances in these movies, but he is a constant fuck up in those movies. He doesn't. I don't think he's had one mission go well since he's been in the field. He needs to go back right. to his desk job. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, what if you logged like ten more hours of training? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm on the way. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I the see. I agree with you, and I do. But that's why I do like like four. I think has a lot more like team stuff, and I like when they build a team. Like the, my. You know, favorite scene in three, I think, is the is the Vatican scene where they're uh, infiltrating the Vatican. Oh, sure, yeah. And so I like when there's team the the team is there and they're all doing their everyone does have their role and stuff like that. But yeah, it all in the end, it's always just Ethan running down the street right. very fast <laughs> towards somebody. Also, Ving, Ving Rangs, who is a great actor, but has gotten like chubbier and slower with every movie. He's, he's just going to be in a chair in the next movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he literally moves less and less every time. Like, I, I listened to a podcast where the director talked about how his knees weren't great, and that's, like, Ving Rhames' knees aren't great, so that really restricts uh, what he can oh, do. But, yeah, it's, you feel bad, but also it is funny that it's just, like, become this man in, like, a jaunty cap who just stands around. <laughs> his hat is also, like, five degrees more tilted every movie. Yeah. As well. yeah. Eventually, it's going to be it's just going to be on the side of his head. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the earpiece. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the greater point that the apostle has is that the IMF is bad and should and maybe there's a reason it falls apart in every movie. But They're <laughs> right about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the IMF is bad at what they do. And I feel like in every movie, Ethan spends at least part of the movie disavowed from IMF. Like, I think in <laughs> yeah. every single one of them. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you're only ever kind of in the IMF anyway. Yeah. Like, this Fallout movie, it has sort of a sub-villain... Not that they're evil, but Angela Bassett and the, I think, main CIA wants to close the IMF. Right. And we exclusively, as viewers, are supposed to be like, not the IMF, my <laughs> right. God. Yeah. They're so good at uh, also causing problems, but fixing them, I think. And it's oh, like, boy. that was literally Alec Baldwin's arc in the last movie. He all, he was also the CIA director who wanted to close down the IMF. Right. And then he got, like, won over in the end. very In a very, like, Fast and Furious franchise type way where he was a bad guy um, and then eventually got won over to the team. Yeah. Right, because The Rock is too cool. He's got to be on the team. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, that's the other fun part about the Mission Impossible movies that there are auditions to be Tom Cruise's friend. That if, yeah. you, <laughs> that if you're good, you get to stick around. But if you're bad, you kind of like nev- you never are seen again. Yeah, Ving pure- Rhames is definitely the best at being his friend. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, pure theory, is Ving Rhames just being professional and cordial with him? Yeah. Is he actually his friend? I'm very curious. I, th- I think they're buds. I think they must be close. Yeah. I-, I do know that Jeremy Renner, who was in two movies— 
they wanted to bring oh, him was, back to yeah. kill him, and Jeremy Renner was not much in the same way. Oh, I didn't Peter know he, Jeremy Renner was not cool with that. He was like, they, they would have they're gonna have to work around his schedule. He could only give him a couple of days, but he did not want to come back just to be murdered, just to help raise the stakes of the film. Wow, it's that's an interesting thing about going back and watching four is that three underperformed at the box office, and there was some thoughts that Tom Cruise's star was waning, and so when you go back and watch four you can kind of get the sense that they brought him in to, yeah, uh, yeah. that he might eventually take over the franchise or something. I think they actually rewrote the second half of the movie to make Tom Cruise. Like, I think the original script was literally a handoff, and then they rewrote it to keep Tom Cruise as the hero mm-hmm. just because whoever ended up writing a director was like, no, Tom Cruise is the guy. you got to yeah. keep Cruise around. Which I think is yeah. that like, Jeremy Renner was also supposed to be newborn, and that did not <laughs> work out either. Just let him replace a spy. <laughs> My God. I, I don't really know the workings of it, but as I understand it, Tom Cruise kind of produces all the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah. So yeah. I don't they know how they feel tried like to... they're kind of his baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they also uh, more I, than his actual baby. <laughs> True. Yeah. I, I, I went real deep on Mission Impossible after the last one, and I learned that they write these with literally no script. It's, it's location backwards. Like, they figure out what oh. awesome, awesome location they can book. So, you know, I think we're totally, it's totally fair to take shots at the movie's plot because for a long time there wasn't one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the original pitch for Fallout was that Tom Cruise has to become a bad guy, has to become John Lark and, like, do terrorist things. Yeah, and then, and then they realize that no one wants to see Tom Cruise do that, or that Tom Cruise thinks that no one wants to see Tom Cruise do that, and just has to be the good guy. Yeah, because he does that a little bit. Yeah, for like but... yeah, and then they back away from it real quick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with all these villains and all these movies, like I feel like when people are pitching their great movie idea, it can often be contingent on like a hero does a thing, right? As, as a basic mm-hmm. way, a, a good version of that, obviously. But I feel like. Maybe villains aren't always in the pitch, right? Like maybe that leads to these villains that don't then totally make sense. Right. Yeah. They have to like reverse engineer something for the yeah. hero to oppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also originally that the apostles had this really like complicated uh, geopolitical goal where they're like, oh, this is the most what's what's the word? Where does the climax take place? It's uh, Kundun. I'm gonna it's, mispronounce it's it. Some, it's somewhere in mountains, and yeah. I think they want to hurt a water supply that people yeah. need. Right. Well, it's, that's the thing. Originally, it was that like, oh, this is the most tense era in the world geopolitically. If we nuke this world, it's going to be a domino effect, and everybody attacks everybody. And then West they're making, they're like, this is too complicated. Audiences are stupid. No one gives a shit. It's the water supply, <laughs> which is like, does not really make any sense. I guess <laughs> a plan. Like, yeah. Yeah. Then they're like just terrorists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before they were uh, just terrorists, but also there was <laughs> right. like some kind of interesting thing. Yeah, and uh, and also this article by Mark Kelly picks out that broadly in like the real world there are not world wars as much anymore. There's also statistically a less violent crime based on. We'll link a study from the University of Minnesota that since the 90s it's gone down. It went up a bit in the later 20th century, but then way down before that too. Like in real life the terrorist argument would uh, not fit the statistics. Like sure, the world yeah. is improving yeah. broadly. But in this Mission Impossible world, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot of cities get smashed up because Tom Cruise is sprinting, you know? Yeah. I, uh, one movie we could talk about is The Devil Wears Prada because the title implies that one character is the devil. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, maybe they just, maybe Meryl Streep just like wants to run a, a business and, and, and is like a little aggressive. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think this one's especially interesting because it's based on a book where yeah. there was an assistant who worked for Anna Wintour, who Miranda Priestley is based on, for like six months, and was like, could not. And was oh, it like, was only six months, or it was it was less than a year. It oh was, yeah, it was that's some short period of time, and then yeah. went off and wrote this like just basically hack job. Where it's like, oh my god, can you believe I had to work for this fucking awful person? <laughs> she made me work so hard, <laughs> and. She she basically did exactly what the point of this podcast is, is like ma- try to make this person seem like a villain without ever selling it. And then the movie made the very good choice to humanize her a little bit. Oh, yeah, because we see her like having trouble with her husband, you know. Yeah. And there's that scene, I think it's a hotel room in Paris where she has like less makeup on. Right. And, and she's human, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know the book was so harsh. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's one of the rare occasions where a movie is leagues better than a book. I don't think she's gone on to write anything else either, that book that book writer. It's hard to have the lane of be somebody's assistant and write a book about them like that over yeah. and over again. You know, yeah. that's hard. Yeah. Like, your prior right. experience is, uh, uh, no, I'm not obviously. Uh. And then especially in the text of the movie, like, it seems like we're partly mad at her because she's a lady running a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then mad at her because she's like brusque. Like she throws yeah, her coat yeah. on the table. Right. And then there's the one kind of mind game thing where she demands a stake and a Harry Potter novel, you right. know, and, and 
that's like hard tasks. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Other than being a mean boss, she's like, it's amazing they can hang a whole movie on how mean she is right. when she's yeah. like just kind of brittle. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, everybody knows the real villain of that vo- movie is uh, Vinny Chase. Right. Uh, the boyfriend. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I did rewatch it recently, and it was very distracting that he was in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, just like is mad that his girlfriend has a job, even though he also has an equally demanding job. He's he's supposed to be like a like a gourmet chef, right? That's yeah. His, yeah. Yeah. He's like slugging it out in the food world to try to be yeah. running his own restaurant. Uh, yeah. So he has things to do too, you know. But yeah. Right. I, I think it's a good point that like the movie would have the potential to do that but I, I do think they do a pretty good job of like making an argument better than you would expect them to for why Miranda Priestly is a good human lady because she it's for one it's Meryl Streep and you know you're automatically on Meryl Streep's side that's true and she yeah. and she gives she gives a monologue about Cerulean that shows how important blue is that was really cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, but, maybe Vinny Chase is the villain. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> That's actually exciting. Uh, yeah. Well, it's fun because it's like kind of sold as a romantic comedy, but the shittiest people in that movie are every guy she kisses. Yeah. Like, because the, <laughs> the, the mentalist is there and also turns out to be a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, saw I think him. they were just calling them by other roles they played. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that actor who's playing like an author who's secretly a creepy guy. And also, uh, like, is primed to take Miranda Priestly's job. Like, the, 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 he very casually reveals to Anne Hathaway, like, "Oh yeah, we're yeah. gonna f- we're gonna fire Anna Wintour, and I'm gonna be the new boss." And is like surprised when Anne Hathaway is offended by that. Yeah, there's so many. I uh, watched this movie recently. I don't know if you guys. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many different devils. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the end of the movie is Simon Baker opens his jacket and you see it says Prada. <laughs> 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 he was the devil who wore Prada all along. <laughs> There's also there's a whole kind of movie I, I would love to talk about too, which is any underdog sports movie. Oh right? yeah, this yeah. is an entire genre where the movie is a usually uh, less skilled team is up against a better team and ah we're mad. Or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if you were the team going up against the team that had angels in the outfield, you'd be yeah. you'd be real pissed about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're uh, cheating. Yeah, <laughs> God was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the, and also, God is cheating at baseball, so a deadbeat dad will come back to his son. I think it's the plot of that movie. <laughs> yes, the, yeah, that's the, the reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I googled it to make sure which team it was because it's Angels in the Outfield. It's the real life. I think they were called the California Angels at the time. Now yeah. they're the Anaheim. Los Angeles Anaheim Angels, yeah. whatever it is. In the in the movie, they're in a pennant race, and then it's they're up against the uh, Chicago White Sox. And like that final game, it's like, oh, they find the strength to not cheat and just do it without angel power. But either way, we're supposed to be mad at the White Sox for trying to beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and right. they're just the other team. Right. That's all they do. The White Sox only <laughs> sin was not having enough fans with broken families and connections <laughs> to God. <laughs> the other one I thought of with that was Major League, uh, where it's the Cleveland Indians are like this uh, team that are our heroes, despite their mascot, yeah, amazingly. <laughs> and then they... That logo is all over the movie. <laughs> it's I think it's on the cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And then the they're in a pennant race with the Yankees, and they really they make the Yankees batters look, like, hairy and mean and oh, weird. Oh, yeah, they're, like, <laughs> big mustaches and, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be mad at this guy because he didn't shave this morning? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. They're just trying to play baseball. Yeah. But we're so mad at them. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to pick a team to be the villain, Yankees is definitely the way to go. Yeah, yeah that made sense. Yeah, if it, yeah. And even like, yeah, and I feel like you keep seeing it even with like ragtag group of kids, sports right. movies. Like the they're against some other team that I think just tried hard. That was mostly <laughs> it. Or off of that, the replacements, which is saying that, you, oh. you, the, I mean, that's saying that unions are bad. Oh, yeah. The replacements <laughs> is pro scabs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know of it. I haven't seen it. Oh, oh it's, like the, it's the, 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 whatever they call the fake NFL, because obviously the NFL wasn't yeah, going to yeah. use any branding. The NFL goes on strike, and it's all these, yeah. like, rich, like, spoiled, like, meatheads who are just, like, you know, want more money. And so oh. the, these scrappy, scrappy, you know, plucky scabs led by Keanu Reeves come in and play football in their place. <laughs> And oh, God, that's so anti-union. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised the NFL didn't sponsor it. That's, that's what they like. <laughs> the end of that movie must be they play the actual NFL. Is that how that movie wraps up? I'm trying to remember the last uh, game of that. No, yeah. it's actually kind of – that movie kind of charms me in a way. It's one of those movies that's like permanently on TBS. Like sure, just yeah. Whenever you turn it on, it's a third of the way through that movie, even though the message is so like terrible. But, yeah, I think in the end they win whatever the last game is. 
and then they just turn the team back over to the real oh, players. Oh, gotcha. And they all kind of go their separate ways, and they like to stop playing football. <laughs> Uh, that's that's just so on the side of ownership. In so <laughs> yeah. <many ways. laughs> yeah. I assume ownership must be involved because they play the games. Like ownership must be letting these people. I forget. I forget the exact politics. Yeah, I forget how, how they justify it yeah. within the context of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Totally. I mean, me and Chase are also members of a union with a lot of highly paid members. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would be mad if, <laughs> <laughs> if, there was a, if there was a replacement about the Writers Guild, we would be the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was written by a fellow uh, guild. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what if they got into the Writers Guild? <laughs> by writing, the, by writing the most anti-union movie. Yeah. <laughs> but then they make a sequel and someone comes in and does it for cheaper. who's <laughs> non-union and then replaces them. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Chase Mitchell and Ben Joseph for taking the time to blow up Thanos' whole plot with me. We took it out, right? We're, we're like the Infinity War sequel, really. Like, we're, we're the guys. I think we saved the day, and I think you will enjoy this week's Food Notes, which are loaded with articles and videos about the movies that we allow to demonize the wrong people. Also, we've got Chase Mitchell and Ben Joseph's Twitter accounts there because they're both unbelievably funny on that platform. And I wish I could also link you to, like, you know, Hollywood business they're doing. There's, like, new pilots and stuff. I can't say anything about it. It's their business. But once there is news about it, I will shout it to the rooftops from my Twitter account. And my Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmittstagram. I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And if you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on that social media. It's what it's for. Also, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. We were engineered by Sam Kiefer and edited by Chris Souza today. And I'm here to say we will be back another day next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. Support for today's show comes from Fallout 76. Bethesda Game Studios, the award-winning creators of Skyrim and Fallout 4, welcome you to Fallout 76, the online prequel where every surviving human is a real person. Work together, or not, to survive. Fallout 76 will be available worldwide on Wednesday, November 14th. Pre-order now at participating retailers and play the beta. Games play best on Xbox One. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.